0: Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and we manufacture all our own certified organic herbal extracts which are either grown on our CCF certified herb farm, or which are sourced from other USA-certified organic suppliers. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's topic of bowel endotoxin. So, the number here if you live in the area is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, Now we can also be reached toll-free on one 888 wbm herb for further questions during normal business hours Monday through Friday. So this month we're again very pleased and fortunate to welcome Dr. Ray Pete back to this show and we'll be exploring the emerging revelation concerning endotoxemia and how unsaturated fats further burden our bodies in ways we could never imagine. So welcome to tonight's show, Dr. Pete. Thanks. Okay, um, perhaps for those people that are tuning in this evening, uh, if you could outline what is endotoxin, uh, how, how is it formed, and how is it harmful to our health?
2: Um, I'm not sure that... Uh... People really know what it's doing in the bacterium, but uh, it's been known since 1892. uh, It it was uh, called endotoxin to distinguish it from the older known bacterial toxins that that the bacteria, in effect, secrete to uh, poison uh, something in their environment. And supposedly the endotoxin... uh, only comes out when the bacterium is uh, uh, broken apart but I think actually it uh, leaks a little bit all the time hmm. so I wouldn't say that it's strictly an endotoxin like the textbooks used to say okay. um, but it's, it's a, a somewhat of a structural protein but it's a, a medium to smallish molecule that can leak out in the process of of, uh, growth and cell division and so on. And its uh, other name is lipopolysaccharide uh, because its structure is a chain of sugar molecules with uh, fatty acids attached. And uh, that gives it kind of a a soap-like behavior that uh, is part... part of why it's uh, toxic uh, so generally. And they are so common in the environment that uh, organisms have their uh, basic defenses against them. One of our basic defenses is uh, the uh, high-density lipoprotein. Okay. Uh, and it, uh, they talk about it in terms of uh, carrying cholesterol, but uh, i think really it's it's a historic main function is that it's it's our first uh, defense against endotoxin once the endotoxin gets into the bloodstream but uh, normally the uh, the intestine is a good barrier against uh, absorbing the endotoxins and if if some of it leaks through the uh, wall of the intestine into the blood vessels and gets carried to the liver, uh, the liver enzymes uh, break it down and uh, so uh, it shouldn't uh, normally reach the bloodstream in significant amounts. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a, a, a matter of uh, tens of milligrams that, that can circulate into the bloodstream every day.
0: Mm-hmm do you know as an aside do you know if there is a value uh a picogram or whatever value associated to uh a quote acceptable level of uh... Uh,
2: yeah it stimulates uh defense reactions and and so it's kind of like a, a toughening up reaction to have a, a small amount of it okay uh if if you're uh, born in a Germ free environment, your first exposure to bacteria is likely to be lethal, but absorbing a little bit of the endotoxin toughens up the system.
0: Okay, this would be, and again, it's an aside, it's not something I was planning on uh, going through with you, but perhaps this uh, uh, harkens back to the, uh, as you said, the kind of uh, germ, yeah, I'll say germ ridden, but the uh, germ. Prevalent society, maybe of a hundred years ago, producing children that had better immune systems and did not have uh, autism or any of the other syndromes, maybe associated with the sterile uh, environments of today.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think it—the uh, ups and downs when you try to be too sterile, mm-hmm. and and then uh, are exposed inevitably to uh, germs. The the sudden shock is probably a lot more stressful.
0: Right. Okay. Well, getting back to endotoxins, and and you mentioned lipopolysaccharide, and um, some people will have heard of LPS or lipopolysaccharide. How is it harmful to our health if uh, the bacteria, if I'm right in thinking that these bacteria are the main source of uh, this endotoxin and we are exposed to varying amounts of it daily, Um, How is it harmful to our health?
2: Um, It
0: it, uh, triggers
2: a whole series of reactions and it seems to be a a physical, chemical process that uh, sort of uh, stirs up a cell to uh, recognize a threat and uh, set off a, a chain of reactions. And it's the things that it sets in, in into action that really cause the the chronic accumulating uh, damage, degenerative damage. Uh, it's one of the first things it does uh, on exciting a cell uh, is to uh, cause the cell to take up calcium and to activate the synthesis of nitric oxide. Right. And uh, the uh, nitric oxide and the cell excitation that goes with uh, absorbing calcium uh, trigger other reactions. And uh, a small amount of, of endotoxin can uh, stimulate the intestine to contract more. But if if the cells are getting overloaded with it... Uh, Uh, That and possibly other irritants can cause cells to produce so much nitric oxide that uh, the nitric oxide becomes a major metabolic disruptor and uh, will cause the intestine to lose the ability to contract. Hmm. And it will uh, poison the uh, respiratory apparatus so that cells can't make energy to fight back and at that point uh, with uh, increased nitric oxide and reduced energy and taking up calcium uh, uh, the cells also take up water Right,
1: and then they become basically non-functioning to a degree
2: um yeah they um, they're under stress and if the body can deliver enough energy to them quickly they can excrete the water and the calcium and turn off the nitric oxide hmm. and uh, return to normal functioning. But when they swell up, uh, uh, another place that the textbooks uh, give a very simplified, uh, mistaken idea of what is involved in uh, bowel damage uh, from endotoxin, uh, they talk about the leakage between cells. Uh, as if the cells lose the glue that holds them uh, in contact with each other, so holes open up between cells. That does happen, but uh, it isn't necessarily the the worst way that the endotoxin uh, gets into the cells and and passes through the cells. The the whole structure of the cell, the cytoplasm, as it takes up water, Instead of being uh, fat-like uh, and tending to exclude water and uh, prefer to absorb fats, the uh, introduction of this uh, sugar connected to a fat acts like a soap and makes the cell uh, tend to uh, admit not only more water but uh, uh pretty much uh, anything that is in its environment. So the whole substance of the cell becomes uh, kind of spongy and leaky. Right. And uh, when when this starts affecting the whole organism, that kind of change occurs all through the body. Uh, once the stuff has passed through the, the lining of the intestine and crosses uh, across capillaries, And uh, gets into the bloodstream then the uh, endotoxin uh, starts doing the same thing to any cell it comes to Mm -hmm. and so it will leak out of capillaries uh, no matter where it is in the bloodstream uh, if the liver hasn't filtered it Uh, so if it happens to reach the brain it'll cause the brain capillaries to leak whatever is in the bloodstream and uh, so it can contribute to multiple sclerosis, and uh, the um, endotoxin leaking into the brain does the same thing. It triggers the release of nitric oxide and uh, a whole chain of, of chemical reactions that uh, uh, every organ has its particular way of responding to the endotoxin, but... There's a generality, no matter what the organ, uh, that there are are basic defense reactions that um, will occur not only to endotoxin but to any uh, radical threat to the survival of the cell so that X-rays and gamma rays will produce essentially the same kind of change in brain cells or bowel cells that uh, endotoxin does. Hmm. And so if if you're uh, overexposed to x-rays, for example, you'll get constipated uh, the same way that overexposure to endotoxin will cause constipation.
0: Okay, so there's a kind of a saponification going on then. Yeah, Yeah. and
2: opening up, loosening up of the cell structure so it it becomes, uh, instead of... uh, like if you imagine a, a lump of gelatin dipped soaked in oil mm-hmm. it uh, it'll stay uh, uh stable in right. the presence of water right. but if you <clears throat> mix a little bit of lecithin with it it'll quickly start taking up water and uh, uh then the whole thing is uh, uh, on the on the road to dissolving and breaking up
0: Okay, Right. well perhaps this would lead me me on uh, to my next question for you which was that um, many of our listeners perhaps have heard the term leaky gut or leaky gut syndrome. Uh, Can you outline uh, again, well perhaps you've already done that in part, but can you outline what causes uh, a leaky gut then and how a leaky bowel wall may lead to this uh, translocation of bacteria and or endotoxin into the (laughs) bloodstream?
2: Yeah, endotoxin is always present in the intestine and it's always the, right. the the first thing to defend against. But many other stresses and toxins like radiation uh, or heavy metals uh, or estrogenic substances or too many polyunsaturated fatty acids and so on, all of these things tend to uh, loosen up or saponify the cell structure, cause the cell to take up water and uh, uh, let junk enter from the environment into the cell substance itself. Mm. And getting into the cell substance, then it can just as easily go out the other side of the cell into the underlying uh, extracellular material, and from there, uh, across the capillary cells mm-hmm. and into the bloodstream. And uh, that uh, is uh, essentially what the leaky gut is. It's, it's leaky cell substance, which uh, involves leaky capillaries, and uh, ultimately it can uh, cause leakiness of, of any tissue uh, in uh, the uh, pre-cancerous states. Uh, for example, you see substance leaking out of, of the characteristic cell, and uh, those indicate a tendency to uh, develop cancer in that organ because that organ is most stressed and hmm. is uh, leaking its, its substance. For example, the uh, prostate-specific antigen is just a normal prostate protein that leaks out because the cell is under stress, Mm -hmm. and the the same protein leaks out of breast cells when they're under stress, and uh, characteristic proteins leak out of any cell when it's under stress.
1: So it literally is the cell is falling apart. Yeah. It's breaking down. It's it's, leaking.
2: um, And something as as simple as vitamin E can uh, tremendously strengthen the cell and help to hold it together so it doesn't leak its protein substance out into the environment.
0: And what would be the mechanism behind that?
2: Oh, no one really knows, but partly it's stopping the uh, free radical damage that uh, nitric oxide is producing. Okay. And uh, um, it helps to uh, keep calcium from overloading the cell and uh, keeps... uh, the water from uh, associating too closely with the proteins. Okay. And uh, a lot of protective substances will do that. Uh, the natural hormones, uh, progesterone and testosterone, help to uh, toughen up the cell and keep it from leaking. Okay. Uh, the the um, factors similar to vitamin E that are associated with energy production uh, Coenzyme Q10 okay. and uh, vitamin K uh, are uh, closely associated with vitamin E in energy production, and they uh, are extremely powerful at defending the respiratory apparatus from uh, nitric oxide and endotoxin.
0: Right. When you uh, mentioned, oh, a few moments ago, when we were talking about uh, the... Uh, Uh, influx of water into the cell uh, and the cell not having uh, perhaps sufficient energy. Would thyroid uh, be a part to play in raising the energy of the cell?
2: Yeah, uh, Yeah. the um, thyroid is essential for making the enzyme that uh, essentially allows oxygen to uh, absorb electrons out of the mitochondrial system. Uh, the mitochondria takes up electrons from uh, sugars and fats and uh, it derives energy from those electrons as they're passed along mm-hmm. to oxygen. And uh, thyroid is the essential factor for uh, uh, making that happen. And there are other supporting factors, uh, a system called the uncoupling proteins, that simply make the uh, electrons run more quickly to to uh, be taken up by oxygen, and what that does is produce carbon dioxide more quickly, which turns off the formation of lactic acid, right. uh, and that turns off uh, the basically the nitric oxide forming system. So if you can run the system fast enough with plenty of thyroid, uh, then you'll make the carbon dioxide uh, and inhibit uh, lactic acid formation and uh, pretty well uh, defend against producing nitric oxide. And that gives you relative immunity to the uh, lipopolysaccharide. Huh.
0: Okay. Is that the uh, elec- what they call the electron transport chain? Yeah. Like the NADH and that other cycle.
2: That... Yeah, the, the electrons pass from that. Yeah down to oxygen, but they can't do it without uh, thyroid. Okay. And the temperature is uh, one of the factors. When you run the electrons through this system, uh, you produce heat as well as carbon dioxide and ATP. And keeping the temperature up is one of the uh, things that helps to turn off the production of nitric oxide and other Uh, free radical uh, destructive factors.
1: So all of these harmful um, x-rays, LPS from the bacteria in our intestines, excess of estrogen that our own bodies can just be producing, not necessarily from what we're taking as HRT or other forms of oral contraceptive pills. But all of these things are essentially free radicals that are damaging our Oxygen usage is that correct dr. B.
2: Yeah, and not all free radicals are uh, toxic, but nitric oxide the one that is uh, so widely produced in response to to stress it increases uh, greatly with aging too just because aging involves the uh, progressive stress reactions
0: the uh, I remember the um, gosh I think they were called poppers. These were weren't these uh, chemicals or drugs of some kind that were nitric oxide based and were becoming yeah, yeah um, and that's uh, and they were very damaging and that's probably why is yeah. just explain the
2: yeah nitroglycerin has been used as a, a drug to uh, open the circulation to the heart
0: right, from China.
2: and uh, nitric oxide didn't really uh, get much interest scientifically until viagra came along <laughs> and uh, that's basically uh doing the same thing as nitroglycerin but it it's extremely toxic yeah it, it's just uh, huh. uh, it's like uh, getting eating eating uh toxins and getting irradiated and getting old oh. uh, ahead
0: of time wow quite a price to pay uh-huh huh
1: so it's just a very potent, powerful free radical that people don't really realize the damage that they're creating by um, depleting their bodies of oxygen.
2: Yeah. And uh, some free radicals can actually defend against the toxic free radicals. Uh, the, uh, when the thyroid and oxygen are working properly, uh, the electron transport chain involves lots of free radical. Activity, but it is all productive and protective. The the faster you run oxygen through the mitochondrion under the influence of thyroid, the less free radical damage you have to the uh, structure of the cell and the mitochondrion. Hmm. Okay. All right. If if you are low thyroid or uh, uh, somehow lack oxygen acutely uh, the electrons instead of being uh, safely uh, Passed through this chain of free radicals the free radicals uh, Wander off and attack the fats that make up the mitochondrion and then those fats become uh, uh, Peroxides which uh, are sort of a randomly destructive kind of free radical
1: so these are, these would be the polyunsaturated fats that you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about, which for, just for our listeners to clarify includes the common vegetable oils available like corn oil, sunflower seed oil, safflower seed oil, canola, also includes fish oil, hemp seed oil, flax seed oil, cotton seed oils, and a lot of pre-processed packaged foods.
2: Yeah. And all of those uh, tend to accumulate in the tissues. And when they're given acutely uh, as an emulsion, for example, they used to do it in hospitals to fatten people up. Uh, Now they do it to uh, suppress their immune systems if they're transplanting a kidney. But uh, they not only suppress immunity, they create sort of an instantaneous diabetes or inability to respire and use sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's
1: like if we eat food that's fried in these these oils, and we're essentially ingesting a free radical.
2: Uh, well, very quickly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, an experiment I did illustrates how, even at room temperature, they uh, spontaneously oxidize. I put a, a rubber hose in a bottle of, uh, I think it was safflower oil, and uh, put the other end in a glass of water, And just at room temperature, uh, over a few hours, the uh, bottle was in effect respiring. It was sucking oxygen up and drawing water up into the tube. Uh, The oxygen was combining with the uh, uh, unsaturated fats and in the process forming lipid peroxides, which are are toxic uh, free radicals.
1: And the situation is even worse in our body when it's at 98 and above degrees. Yeah,
2: yeah much much mm-hmm. faster at that temperature, and we have uh, uh, catalytic amounts of iron and right. and heavy metals floating around to accelerate the reaction.
0: Wow. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Galveston 91.1 FM. Um, we're very pleased to have Dr. Ray Peet join us again. Uh, and this month's subject was the topic of bowel endotoxin. So the number, if you live in the area, is nine two three three nine one one, or the toll free number is one eight hundred KMUD. So, oh, in five minutes or so, we'll be opening up the Sorry, one
1: KMUD Rad. Beg your pardon.
0: Okay, I had another question for you, uh, Doctor Pete. Um, I think just very briefly, then perhaps if you want to outline again what free radicals are and what foods promote or prevent. The formation
2: um,
0: well, oh, free
1: radicals and/or endotoxin.
2: Uh, yeah, the um, uh, since the polyunsaturated fats are uh, the main material that uh, causes uh, sort of an explosion of free radicals. Once the process starts with endotoxin and uh, nitric oxide, uh, simply. Minimizing those in the diet is a a basic way to defend yourself. Uh, There have been, for for essentially 100 years, there have been studies showing that a fat-free diet, uh, if you give the the required nutrients, a fat-free diet extends lifespan and uh, reduces uh, cancer and other degenerative diseases. 1927 study showed that there was no spontaneous cancer in rats on a fat-free diet, and uh, that has been uh, repeated thousands of times uh, in different ways. But uh, there are roughly 100 studies that that show the tremendously beneficial effects of even a, a short-term uh, Deficiency, so called, of the polyunsaturated fats. Uh, when a, a rat is made deficient in the, according to the, the way they define the deficiency, they simply don't feed them any polyunsaturated fats, but give them uh, purified nutrients. Uh, those animals can stand a tremendous physical trauma that would kill a rat on a normal diet, and they can uh, be given cobra venom and survive where a normal rat doesn't. Uh, Toxins that would produce diabetes in normal rats doesn't hurt the so-called deficient rats. Uh, Basically, any kind of abuse that they can think up, uh, the uh, fatty acid deficient rats are... uh, much, much more uh, uh, able to tolerate and survive without harm. Mm.
1: So why are we so brainwashed in in this day and age, even to the point that these fats are called essential fatty acids?
2: Yeah, that... um, Good for you. (laughs) The the people, uh, the Burrs, who in 1929 through the 1930s uh, were promoting that idea were working for uh, uh, one of the big fat businesses, uh, lard and then uh, vegetable shortening businesses. And uh, when independent researchers checked their claims in the 1940s, uh, they found that what they had done was simply produce a vitamin deficiency because when an animal is not eating the polyunsaturated fats, which poison the thyroid function, their metabolic rate is about 50% higher than the normal animals. And if they feed them only a normal amount of uh, vitamin and protein, they become nutritionally deficient. So uh, these uh, researchers at the uh, University of Texas lab in the 1940s had been working on vitamin deficiencies and they recognized that the birds had simply produced their uh, vitamin b6 deficiency and so they gave a fatty acid deficient diet to rats and then gave them extra vitamin b6 and Mm -hmm. it cured the the syndrome so the whole issue was settled in 1946 but the uh th- in the 1950s uh the uh nutrition textbooks said that it's a controversial topic whether they're essential or not okay. because people were still uh promoting the uh the idea that we need lard or uh vegetable shortening and uh then the um the industry uh went through a big change when they discovered that uh, first they had economized on food consumption by pigs and chickens by poisoning their thyroid gland with a Mm -hmm. chemical that turned out to cause cancer in humans and So they looked for another way to poison the animal's thyroid so it wouldn't eat so much, but would get fat Uh, and what they found was that the polyunsaturated fats, just as the burrs had demonstrated in 1932, suppressed the metabolic rate. And uh, uh, that was when the uh, uh, feeding pigs, a diet of essentially pure corn and soy for the polyunsaturated fats, mm-hmm. took off. Before that, they'd fed them uh, vegetable waste and, and whey, industrial waste which was very good for the pigs but uh, they ate a lot of it and didn't get fat <laughs> so uh, they weren't they,
1: good for marketing yes
2: yeah, the the agriculture industry uh, found that they could tremendously increase uh, return uh, pounds of pig per pound of food consumed hmm. and uh, since they were uh, at that same time the uh, The paint industry discovered how to turn petroleum into paints and plastics, so they didn't need linseed oil or safflower oil anymore. And so there was this big industry, soy oil and so on, uh, that uh, wanted another market besides feeding pigs and chickens. And uh, so they convinced people uh, to eat uh, their production that they couldn't sell as paint.
1: And the story continues into
2: 2009. Yeah, then after 50 years, the uh, the original data, which was that uh, the vegetable oils caused softening of the brain and infertility and uh, cancer and so on, uh, that was known in the early 1940s. Uh, Finally, that became too public Mm -hmm. that uh, the essential fatty acids uh, known as linoleic acid mainly, uh, everyone was catching on that those were carcinogenic and caused heart disease. So uh, about 20 or 30 years ago, there was this gradual change of marketing as the fish industry was being pressured by the Environmental Protection Agency to uh, stop throwing their waste skins and heads and so on in in the bays or into landfills because they were uh, causing tremendous pollution. Uh, that was when fish oil uh, came on the market. Uh, oh, goodness. They, they were making fish protein out of the skin and, uh-huh. and uh, heads right. to sell to Africa as a food supplement. Oh, my gosh. And the oil spoiled so fast they uh, marketed it uh, for uh, human medical use.
0: So, lesson through history that wherever there's a waste product, there's always an agency or an industry to turn it into a profitable product. Yeah. Um. Uh,
2: shrimp shells are are now a medical product, and <laughs> I'm waiting for used tires to come out.
0: To
1: food. <laughs> Rubber, it's good for you.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm fr- I don't laugh. It'll probably happen, but it'll happen so co- covertly that we won't know it for another 50 years. Oh, my goodness. I want to um, go back briefly to that uh, the point that you mentioned about the uh, endotoxin or the lipopolysaccharide uh, being broken down uh, by the liver. Um, yeah, so we know that the liver is a detoxification organ, and I know that you know, on several of our shows over the years we've uh, we've kept on. Banging the message home that you need to look after your liver because it's the thing that looks after you very much in terms of uh, metabolically uh, deactivating some toxic metabolites and uh, cleaning us, helping to stay clean. How, how do you how do you view uh, liver health or the uh, improvement in liver health, and how would you approach that?
2: Um, the the, um, the liver has several ways to catch toxins, uh, but when it starts uh, having to uh, work too hard to detoxify things. Um, The brain is our second uh, most active detoxifying organ. (laughs) Uh, It has very intense uh, uh, enzymes analogous to those that uh, uh, break down toxins in the liver. But uh, if the liver is spending too much energy detoxifying, uh, it uh, becomes unable to produce uh, albumin albumin circulating in the blood is is one of the layers of defense when the stuff gets through uh, the into the bloodstream the uh, uh, High-density lipoprotein made in the liver increases when we're being poisoned Uh, and so estrogen Mm -hmm. and alcohol increase the high density lipoprotein.
1: And this is what the doctors are telling us is the good cholesterol.
2: Well, it is good because it's a reaction to being poisoned. (laughs) So so it it helps protect. When we're having a bowel problem.
0: So if you have a a low HDL, that may be not such a bad thing because it's indicating you don't have a high toxin load. Yeah, I think so.
2: And the albumin circulating in the blood binds uh, things preferentially fatty uh, molecules. Right. And so uh, between the albumin and the lipoproteins, uh, our blood can hold a lot of stuff temporarily right. uh, to give the liver a chance to
0: uh, catch up. Gotcha. And, uh, as it repasses. Destroying them. Uh-huh. Right, okay. Because, I mean, I've, I've heard of the uh, albumin as being one of those factors obviously responsible for that colloidal osmotic pressure um,
2: yeah and uh when the uh, liver is starting to be poisoned and uh, uh estrogen and radiation can do the same thing as endotoxin mm-hmm. uh the ability to form albumin decreases right. uh, and so looking at the albumin in a blood test is one of the first mm-hmm. uh indicators of a, a person's basic resistance right. if it's high their uh, prognosis is usually good okay. and if it's uh, down around uh, three where the, the normal is four and a half right. uh, <clears throat> you're going to have to clean out the bowel. Right. I've, I've seen people in just a couple of weeks go from uh, below three like two and a half up to uh, over four just by uh, eating uh, fiber and, and fruit juice mm-hmm. to uh, to reduce the absorption of the endotoxin.
0: Do, do you figure the uh, given reference range to be accurate?
2: Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the um, the best prognosis is in the range of 40 to 50 or 4 to 5. Right. And uh, okay. uh, when it's below 4, they've put the normal uh, lower and lower as people get thicker. <laughs> but uh, okay. 15 or 20 years ago it was considered bad to be under four right and uh, now it's normal
0: down to yeah. three point
2: something as okay.
1: we all get sicker we have a right. caller we have on a the caller line.
0: on the line for you dr pete so caller you're on the air
3: yes dr courtney i have a question for dr pete but okay. i'd first like to make a statement is uh i'm living proof that uh this man is uh, saying is, is is real god sent truth uh i have closed and have had for uh probably about 20 years this diagnosed for about eight years and, uh, I've had four major surgeries, had all but, uh, 12 feet of my intestines removed and have a double ostomy. And by change of diet, I no longer have any Crohn's symptoms whatsoever. And, uh, it's, uh, along the same lines that Dr. Pete is speaking about. My question is, Dr. Pete, do common medical doctors understand these things? And if they do, why don't they tell that to their family, families that they treat?
1: Sorry, can I interrupt you for a second? Can you, um, caller, if you haven't already turned your radio off, can you please turn off? We're having quite a lot of feedback here.
2: Um, The the average uh, doctor learns uh, his high school courses very well, and then it happens that the medical school courses on uh, the elementary canal and digestive physiology are really just a repeat of what the Junior high and high school textbooks had in, so uh, doctors get a very superficial picture of nutrition and digestion. I and see.
3: So, so possibly it is. It is how I believe that they're just trained to be uh, drug pushers modern medical, uh, medical pharmaceutical companies. Uh, yeah,
2: I, the uh, I think that's their basic function. I, I've been uh, running into uh, more and more. Uh, Fairly famous gastroenterologists who are barely better than than the junior high textbooks.
3: Uh, well, I thank you very, very so, so much, sir, for for all of your your God-sent wisdom and knowledge. And I hope you have a long, long-lived life, sir. Thank Good you. Night.
0: Okay, I think uh, there's another caller on the line for you, Dr. Pete. Okay. And the lights are flashing, so go ahead, caller.
3: Hello, um, I have a question, but I also wanted to mention that um, you had spoken last uh, month about raised um, heartbeat as being um, preferable, and um, that was the first I heard of that. But since then, I've heard of that in, um, in another radio show.
1: So, um, Dr. Pete, can you explain to us why the standard Heart rate. We're taught in medical school is supposed to be between 70 and 80 beats per minute, and you've mentioned or less, or less, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, preferably less. Supposedly, yeah. if you have an we're athletic heartbeat, low
0: heart, re- heart rate is healthy.
1: Then you are, you should, you have a pulse around 60, and you're very healthy. You have a very healthy heart. So why do people feel better when they have a pulse above 80?
2: Um, because the um, the brain uh, needs. Um, oxygen and sugar and uh, the just to um, keep all of the systems warm and uh, respiring actively uh, unless you have a a very very big heart it usually takes around 80 or 90 beats per minute to pump enough uh, oxygen and sugar around the tissues to keep them warm and uh, over the last 30 years, the normal uh, temperature that doctors look for has decreased considerably. From the beginning of uh, inventing thermometers, normal temperature was uh, around 37 centigrade, 98.6 or so during the daytime Fahrenheit, and uh, in recent years, the uh, average temperature of Americans has uh, decreased considerably, and that means that the uh, the heart rate can go slower, and uh, right. the, the person <clears throat> feels that they're getting enough uh, sugar and oxygen, but they don't really feel uh, as good as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to a few people who had temporary episodes of hyperthyroidism, where their heart rate went 125 for a couple of months, and... Consistently, they say they never felt so good in their life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. just as an aside, we since we started um, since we started working with you, we've seen so many people. So many people with low temperatures, and it's always the uh, rarity to find the person with the uh, the right temperature. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of few and far between. But they certainly they certainly do uh, react or respond rather to uh, to. Uh, the, the, the protocols that you've outlined. There's, oh. there's another caller on the line for you, Dr. P. Okay. Wait, wait,
1: sorry, uh, the, Corin, are you done asking questions? Because I know you wanted to ask a question about whether kelp and iodine-rich seaweeds are good for thyroid health. And I don't know if you're still on the line anymore.
2: Oh, well, uh, I've got in my file, uh, I think it's about 80 articles on the toxic effects of getting excess iodine and uh, thyroid cancer is increasing at a tremendous rate and I think it's uh, a part of it is the polyunsaturated fats but another part is uh, a chronic uh, lifelong overdose of iodine uh, in various studies uh, taking uh, more than twice the essential required minimum of iodine is enough to increase the rate of uh, thyroiditis and uh, increase antibody attacks on the thyroid, and so
1: on. Mm, wow. So when you sent me 20 articles detailing the thyrotoxic effects of excess iodine from sea vegetables and other sources, that was just one fifth of the articles you say you've seen that show this.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So we have a- another caller on the line.
0: And there seems to be a uh, seems to be a little bit of feedback going on. I'm not sure if that's. Uh... Can be managed in the studio or if that's external. Okay, the caller, you are Hi there.
3: Yeah, I had actually two questions at time. Um, the first one was wondering if you could speak briefly of saturated fats and if they're beneficial or not. And then the other question was you mentioned staying away from the polyunsaturated fats. And maybe vitamin E and the ketox the q 10 being things you can do to help heal OEG stress. I was just wondering if there was anything else that you could do proactively to heal and, and I'll take the questions
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Could you repeat the question? I couldn't understand it. The-
1: okay, well I could um, hear it. She wanted, She, the caller was asking, what are some protective things we can do? Um, Dr. you've mentioned vitamin E. Uh,
2: sorry.
1: And, um, and and also the co- uh, coenzyme Q10. and
0: The lady wanted to know also about the saturated fats.
2: Um, and, yeah, um, the saturated fats are very protective, but you can make make your own saturated fats if you eat enough sugar, like fruits instead of uh, bread. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of groups that are curing uh, cirrhosis and hepatitis with uh Giving uh, more saturated fats and excluding the unsaturated entirely, mm-hmm. uh, so they are anti-inflammatory and therapeutic. But uh, you don't necessarily have to eat the saturated fats because you can make mm-hmm. them if you get enough yep. uh, sugar in the form
0: of fruits. Okay, uh, I don't. Know and so the, the other or? question
1: was, yeah. what other? Suggestions you have to help reduce our bowel endotoxin load, our free radical load uh, on our bodies. You've mentioned the CoQ10, the vitamin E, thyroid.
2: Oh, uh, the, the, anything uh, that speeds transit through the intestine. Mm-hmm. And um, aspirin or anything anti-inflammatory, uh, the fruit juices contain uh, some of the natural anti-inflammatory uh, chemicals, but uh, in a pinch it can help uh, a- aspirin surprisingly can act as a laxative because it suppresses nitric oxide and defends against endotoxin and and uh, the um, fibers that are protective uh, and don't support bacterial growth are are the basic way to uh, stimulate. Uh, quick passage through the intestine and minimizing endotoxin formation. Raw carrots and uh, boiled uh, bamboo shoots are very good fibers because they're germicidal as well as uh, being able to bind the endotoxin and uh, other toxins.
1: So they not only help to kill these bacteria that are producing these harmful endotoxins, but they also absorb them so you can excrete them.
0: Yeah. Excellent.
1: And um, the other herb we, the herb we wanted to mention. Oh, sorry, we do have another caller on the line. Yeah. We'll be right back with the herb.
0: Go ahead, caller. Thank you.
3: Um, thank you, doctor. Uh, I've suffered from irritable bowel syndrome um, all my life, or ever since I was a child. And then in the last three years, I became vegan. And then in the last couple, like three months, I took wheat out of my diet. And I used to have irritable bowel problems for at least once or twice a week and I have noticed no problems. I mean, very few before I took the wheat out of my diet, once I became vegan, but once I took the wheat out, I haven't had a problem and I would like you to address that and please, um, could you explain really what's happening with irritable bowel because it's just, you know, they call it irritable bowel, but what is it really? Thank you.
2: Um it, it basically is um, the inflamed bowel and it can uh, the, the same chemicals that can cause the usual paralysis that develops with aging and, and causes constipation. Um, those same substances can uh, shift over to um, causing uh, intensified peristalsis leading to diarrhea. Uh, but it's all an inflammatory process that is uh, triggered by irritants, and wheat and uh, other seeds uh, contain uh, chemicals that the plants, uh, the, the two major uh, problems with any kind of seed, uh, especially uh, certain grains like wheat, uh, they contain their protein in a storage form, uh, gluten, which happens to uh, resemble a protein that our tissues make under the influence of estrogen or stress. And so if a person has uh, some problem dealing with uh, the control of estrogen, that predisposes them to react violently to the gluten uh, because the the same sequence of amino acids uh, exists in our own estrogen response protein and the gluten protein but besides the the problem with the gluten seeds all are are, they're the next generation of the plant and so the plant puts its uh, most intense toxins and defense substances into the seeds uh, deliberately to uh, interfere with uh, grazing animals and such Uh, So that you can take the um, enzymes that are needed to digest proteins and uh, uh, the uh, substance in the seed Won't affect that type of enzyme in the plant, but it affects all animal enzymes. So they're uh, specifically designed to uh, uh, interfere with animal metabolism. So um, the vegetarians forget uh, how uh, toxic the plants have to be because they they don't have <clears throat> the ability to fight or to run. And so what they, <laughs> they use is chemical
0: uh, defense. Chemical weapons. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. P., I want to be a little bit selfish and uh, cut off any more callers at this point. I know the lights are flashing. Uh, and do excuse me. I don't normally do this, but I do have... Uh, One more specific question which relates to bowel endotoxin and uh, bowel functioning. And I know from a uh, newsletter that you haven't finished, it's something I know you've begun and I've managed to get a copy of it, that um, you're a pretty big exponent of uh, cascara. Uh, And cascara is a Pacific uh, Northwest native tree called Aramnus persiana. And the Native Americans have used it for centuries uh, as an effective laxative. And the main constituents Uh, are things like anthraquinones uh, with glycosides of emodin uh, and other uh, aloemodin. So Uh, what do you you think of, how do you view constipation uh, as a cause of morbidity and how do you view the action of cascara? uh,
2: Well, uh, all of these uh, responses to inflammation uh, tend to become progressive and even uh, lead to the death of some of the nerves in the intestine and uh so uh it's better to uh uh use a, any substance such as a plant uh uh drug uh rather than suffer the consequences of inflammation and it happens that cascara is has structural analogies to many of our our own substances of uh, vitamin K and coenzyme Q uh and progesterone have uh, structural similarities to cascara. And so what it's doing is reinforcing our defense systems. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very unusual among drugs because um, it uh, basically reinforces all of the good processes and doesn't uh, support any of the inflammatory toxic processes. So it's anti-inflammatory, uh, anti-carcinogenic, uh, uh, helps to uh, uh, cr- uh, reduce uh, anxiety, for example, um, increases energy production the way thyroid and progesterone do. Okay. Um, everything that our own system does, it reinforces And um, my newsletter is going to talk about the history of uh, related substances. Uh, Early in the century, when free radicals were discovered, uh, a doctor in Michigan, uh, W.F. Koch, uh, began working out the implications for uh, how to defend our uh, cellular respiratory system from these uh, toxins in the environment. And one of the substances he worked with was the anthraquinone. Uh, he went to Brazil and uh, the famous Brazil wood it's red because of the uh, okay. anthraquinone, but uh, he explored uh, all of the uh, quinones uh, that he could and found that they work with vitamin E, vitamin K, and coenzyme Q okay. and thyroid to, right. to maintain and protect respiration.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, I'm going to have to cut you short too, I'm afraid, Doctor Pete, because it's 7:58 uh, and a half. Um, Doctor Ray Pete can be contacted via his website on www.raypete.org. No,
1: dot .com.
0: Uh, oh, sorry, it's changed .com. So no. raypete .com. Uh, for those of you who would like to consult further, uh, we can be reached on one eight 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 WBM Herb, Monday through Friday. Uh, thank you to all of you who listen regularly and those who tuned in this evening. And thank you very much again, Dr. Pete. I would love having you on the show. Uh, and I know from the uh, the wealth of people that phone up and the people that have tried to get on this evening, I'm sorry that we cut you cut you short a little. Um, but I know that you're very popular and you're very much appreciated to sp- Spread the good news.
1: And we're hoping that Dr. Pete will come visit us in Humboldt County and do some more nutrition classes. So keep your ears open for that on a public service announcement.
0: Look to the future, folks. And for those of you who have ears, let them hear. Good night.
1: Thank you. Good night.